Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. I'm Kim Grinnells of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. Washington takes on Stanford at 4 o'clock this afternoon, and that's in Palo Alto, Stanford Stadium, which, uh, Chris, you've been down here. You've seen that stadium. It uh, kind of looks like it was all the materials were bought at Home Depot and just kind of put together. Uh, it's a nice stadium. I don't know. There's nothing wrong with that stadium. It's just the atmosphere has never been great for the opposing fans because there is no atmosphere. What's your over/under on how many people will actually be in the in the seats, Chris? Well, as I as as we posted in the by the numbers this week, the over/under is is w- what number is going to be greater the the attendance at Stanford Stadium today or the number of yards from Washington's offense? Yeah, I'm not expecting over 10,000. I'd be surprised if there's even that many there. And uh, Washington, when they come down to the Bay Area, always seems to have a good showing. So. Um, it'll be an interesting uh, this afternoon to see how big of a crowd Washington actually does bring in a lot of techies down here who graduated from Washington. So we'll see how that goes. But, you know, we spent a lot of time this past week just kind of dissecting that uh, Arizona State game. And after the Arizona game, I think people were a little, you know, um, concerned. But as it turns out, Arizona was probably better better than we anticipated. And after uh, Arizona State took Southern Cal, you know, and uh, they should have beat them. But um, it looks like Arizona State might be a little bit better than we anticipated as well. I don't think they're that good. That's my opinion. Washington turned the ball over four times. The offense couldn't step out, couldn't stop stepping on its own manhood. I mean, it that that was all Washington giving giving up plays to Arizona state. I don't think Arizona state is that good. I think Washington played to the level of their team of the, their opponent for the, for honestly that I can remember other than the Arizona state loss last year, the only other time they've played that way uh, under Kalen DeBoer. Yeah. We've seen these games plenty of times over the years, Chris, and usually walking away with Washington get defeated, but thanks to Mish Powell, they found a way to win. Yeah. You know, and there's other things like, you know, they, the last 18 times that Washington had lost the turnover battle by three or more, they had lost. So it, it just statistically, the things that they were doing to shoot themselves in the foot, or as Jason Gesser famously said, to kill themselves in the foot, these are all things that that typically would result in them losing games. Yet to be able to find a way to win under those types of circumstances shows that this team has some metal about them. And it's it's not I wouldn't say they're battle tested guys, but I would say that they certainly have been under fire in a number of different circumstances. We've seen already that Arizona clearly is better than what people thought this weekend. Every single Pac-12 team plays, uh, I believe, is it Washington uh, State is down in Arizona tonight. So there, you know, there's going to be some really interesting games today to just try to see how things parse out. But I think ultimately when it comes down to it, at this point in the season, guys, when you're seven, eight, nine games in, 
it's survive in advance. It doesn't matter how you get it done. You just got to do it. Yeah. You know, and last week it just felt like Michael Penix was off. We found out Monday, you know, Kalen DeBoer kind of confirmed that Michael was a little bit under the weather, but he just looked off, you know, and, um, you know, the offense struggled with that, you know, with the four turnovers and, you know, Michael getting a pass knocked down and intercepted and Jalen Polk fumbling, which we haven't seen before. And it just seemed like everything was a little bit off, but it sure seemed like Michael Penix was off. Yeah. I don't think there's any question about that. I mean, I think he'd be the first to admit it. You talked to Ryan Grubb. We talked to him this week and, and he was fully like, Hey guys, you know, fully admit that was nowhere near what their standard has been. And it was plain to see. So it's not like you can hide behind a statistic or hide behind the fact that you're not really seeing what you're seeing because everyone saw it. They couldn't run the ball. They had difficulty throwing the ball. Arizona State did a great job in terms of generating turnovers. And, you know, ultimately it came down to Washington's defense and special teams coming to Washington's rescue as far as their, you know, saving their offense, kind of saving their bacon. Hey, Scott, uh, a lot of talk this week about sign stealing. Do you think uh, there was some of that going on against Arizona State? I don't know about sign stealing, but I think Washington admitted that they thought they, they might have been tipping their hat a little tip, tipping their hand a little bit and and, uh, you know, giving things away by something, some things they were doing and everything like that. So they kind of changed some formations up and did some different things and to help with that in the second half and stuff but on it i'm just going to be honest with you i don't really care if they did steal the signs kim washington's a better team than arizona state and washington needs to play better and and just the offensive line didn't play well it didn't it wasn't horrible but it they they're better than that and we've seen that that you know team better than than uh than they played on uh, you know that week and and the fact that you know, you couldn't do anything against the run on trying to get the running game going or anything like that. But I mean, Washington wasn't beating uh, double teams. They, they there were time or, you know, on on for the wide receivers, they weren't getting open. And and Ryan Grubb said there were a couple where we just missed plays and we had the plays open down the field and they didn't get they didn't happen. And so they know that they need to do better. But stealing signs, I I don't know. I mean, oh, come on, Scott. They, I mean, it was, you know, Dillingham talking to Lanning last week. Come on, let's throw some conspiracy stuff in there and make it fun. You know what the deal was. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. You know, I I think there's a lot. It's Occam's razor for me. I just think Washington didn't execute. I thought the the most likely scenario is that Washington had a hangover from the Oregon game. Michael Penix was under the weather, not playing well. They were missing one of their best weapons in Jalen McMillan. And you 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 had some struggles along the offensive line, and they had to do some mid-game shuffling. They had a uh, true freshman and a redshirt f- freshman playing inside at uh, center and at right guard, and it just wasn't going to be their their game. The de- luckily the defense played about as well as it's played all season long, and they were able to hold um, a team down that they should have held down, but a team that had hurt them last year in this same type of game. Yeah, but guys, I, guys, I'm real curious though, I, and I don't mean to steer the conversation off the off the road, but Kim, you've talked about this before. I know you've asked DeBoer, I think, in certain ways because it, this is a conversation that's been on the message boards before. Do we think by the start of the 2024 season will Washington change their sidelines? I I don't think they're going to need to because I think there's going to be kind of a 
much effort to have the speakers uh, installed into the helmets. So I don't think there's going to be a need for it, to be honest. It's not going to happen in a year. It's not going to happen in a year. It's the NCAA, Kim. There's no way. They're already they're already uh, going to be trying it out in the postseason, from my understanding, and they're already using it at some Division three schools. But from my understanding, and some of the bowl games are going to be used. So, but but switching sidelines, guys, is something that they could fix right away, and they don't need NCAA approval to do it. I agree. I I think they should. I think they should have done that a long time ago. That's just my personal opinion. Yeah, you know the problem is is that you know it's great for some of the games. I think it make it more difficult for the sign stealing. But when the uh, we get into October and November in Husky Stadium, that's definitely the cooler side. I mean, it's a lot cooler on the other side than it is um, on the uh, current side that Washington's using. So I don't know. I, I don't you know, we'll have to keep on asking Kalen about it. I've asked him about it two or three times and he hasn't shut it down. But I kind of get the feeling from the things that I've read that we're going to go to the microphone and the speaker and the helmet. And I think it'll happen next year. I just think there's too much talk about it right now. So and I know that the NCAA moves like a glacier. Well, a glacier moves faster than the NCAA. But I see this getting done. I, I That would be my prediction that that's going to happen next year. So. You know, but um, they just also wanted to touch bases as well as the offense is playing. I think the defense is kind of being, you know, maybe we're a little bit spoiled, but defense is actually putting up some pretty good numbers uh, lately. So only allowed seven points last week. But, um, you know, I think they're playing really well. I agree. I'd say one thing that uh, was interesting in talking to Eric Schmidt this week about because. You know, as everyone knows who follows Washington football, one of the big storylines on defense is the fact that you look at the sack numbers for Braylon Trice and Zion Tupola Fatui and some of those other guys, and they're just not there. They're averaging one sack a game, and that is way below what people would have anticipated. He goes, and and Schmidt was like, absolutely. It's below the standard. Everyone understands that. But you have, you have to look at not only what offenses are doing to try to take Zion and Braylon, uh, Braylon Trice away from them by chipping tight ends, by chipping running backs, by adding additional resources to those ends to take those guys away. But by doing that, they're taking away their ability, and I'm talking about the offenses, they're taking away their ability to, to damage Washington down the field. And, that's, well, and, th- and you really can see that because you're not only seeing – Offense is not trying to really be able to go over the top or downfield because they don't have uh, those routes going down the field. But you also see Washington's defensive backs taking advantage with interceptions. They already have two pick sixes. The one with Mish Powell obviously is the one right on the front of the minds right now. But the one with Eddie Ulafoscio against Cal first like first series of the game that really set the tone. So there are some things that are happening with this defense that we certainly did not see at all last year. Well, there's two things that, you know, a pass rush can cause. It can cause, you know, it's going to cause a sack, which is going to be a loss of yardage or the quarterback to hurry. And they've got halfway through the season already more interceptions than they had all of last year. So I don't know. What would you rather have, a sack or an interception? I mean, well, they're getting- true. you'd love to have both I, in an ideal world. And there's no question that, that those guys are frustrated. And they're, you know, when I say frustrated, I mean frustrated in the sense that they don't have the numbers to show for their work because they're they're absolutely putting in that work. But what they have to 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 keep in mind, and I think what the court, the coaches have to continually reinforce in them is that their work is having an impact. It may not be having an impact in the way they thought it would. But it really is overall impacting how the defense is playing 
and they really are truly playing a, a team type defense now. Whereas last year there were so many holes in it that that really in a lot of ways they were having to outscore teams. We had a chance to talk to players and coaches this week um, again on uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. Anything jump out at you, Chris, from uh, talking to guys this week? Well, like I said, talking Wednesday with the coaches, that it was it was really interesting talking to Schmidt about kind of how the perception is with the with the edge players, but how the reality is that the offenses are giving something up by by you know putting so much attention on their edge players, and it's really showing dividends on the rest of the defense. Um, the other thing I thought was really really interesting, and I just posted a story on it yesterday with Scott Huff, was that. You know, everyone wants to focus on the offensive line and how difficult Arizona State was making it work, especially right up the middle of that A gap. And even when they weren't blitzing, they were they were showing they were really trying to get in Michael Penix's face quite a bit and really get him off his spot and get him a little rattled, which, Kim, you just mentioned earlier in the show how that it just didn't feel like Michael Mike was was on. You know, it just felt just kind of out of sync, out of sorts. And Scott Huff flat out said he goes, hey. The, the rotations that we had when Garen Hatchett went out of the game and his brother came in to play center and they moved Parker Brailsford over to the right, like Scott said earlier, that stuff was all scripted. That was stuff that they had already had in the game plan. So it really tells you that they're they're trying to get Landon Hatchett fully yeah. invested for the rest of this season. I, I'm not sure I'd see necessarily Landon Hatchett at center the rest of the season, but would you guys be surprised? I'm, I'm not sure I would be anymore. Yeah, I would be because I expect Julius Bulow back here. Well, and that's another part of it too. That's another certainly another part of it. Well, Scott. the coaches have also the coaches have also said that Landon is a guy that they don't expect to redshirt. So I think right. he's going to play. And I, I mean, think the other thing is is that with with Julius, I mean, yes, he 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 got banged up and he's missed a couple of games, and now it looks like he's going to be fully back today to play. He he was practicing against Arizona, or at least warmed up against Arizona State. So there, there is the possibility. But what if one of these other guys gets banged up? I think what they're doing is this is just another way for them to try to build up the the depth that they do have, which they don't have a lot of it. But the depth that they do have, they've got to get these guys some turns in order to feel like if someone does go down, they can immediately go in and feel like the next man up is prepared and ready to go. And Scott, you had a chance to talk to some guys on Tuesday. Anything jump out at you? Uh you know, just I talked to both. Uh, uh, I talked to Braylon Trice. I talked to Roger Rosengarten. Those are two guys that that uh, you know, you know, they're you lo- they're looked at as leaders. I mean, uh, Roger Rosengarten was actually the only offensive guy that was available <laughs> on uh, on Tuesday, so that was that was a little funny. But um, you know, he just talked about, hey, we set a standard for ourselves, and we didn't live up to it. And we would love for teams to think that we were an overrated offense. That's the best thing that could happen to us is that people think we're we're overrated as an offense because that's when we come out and we really hurt teams. I thought it was so. pretty cool that, uh, you know, talking to Mish Powell, um, he said that Michael Penix was the one who actually got the football from the pick six and gave it to him after. Yeah, the game. yeah that was pretty cool. Too, yeah, pretty, yeah yep. that's just the kind of guy Michael is. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Um, Scott, just coming in this week, um, you know, they've uh, a couple of guys banged up. Um, it'll be interesting to see if we see Jalen McMillan today, uh, if we see Julius Bulow today. Um, also, um, you know, see if we see a different Dylan Johnson. What are you expecting on the injury? You know, we'll, we'll we have to wait and see. I don't think Jeremy Bernard's going to be playing. It didn't sound like it from the coaches uh, this week that he was <clears throat> really going to be an option for them. They they said, we'll wait and see where things are, but I don't, I don't think he plays. If you need, you know, it's like I said about uh, Arizona state, if you need Jalen McMillan and Jeremy Bernard to beat Stanford, just like the, you know, with Arizona state, I, I think there's something wrong because Washington doesn't need those guys. Uh, to win. I mean, it's it's great to have them and you want to have them. Don't get me wrong, but you don't have to have them to beat the, this team. This team is not very good. They're not very talented. They're they're still trying to implement their system and everything like that. So as far as Jeremy, uh, Jalen McMillan, um, I think he's going to play. Um, everything, every indication is that he's back and ready to go. Same with Julius Bulo. Um, I'm interested to see how much Thule led to Ligasanoa uh, ends up playing today because he was very limited against Arizona State. They they really really uh, substituted uh, Jacob Bandis and um, Fatui Tuatele in quite a bit for him, and he just played on a. I, I don't know, I, Chris. I don't know if you saw the snap count. I didn't see the snap count, but I thought it was less than twenty snaps for for Tuli. But I could be wrong on that. But um, you I know, it was I, right around, I think it was right around there. Right around 20, yeah. So, I mean, and they played 74 snaps, didn't they, or something like that, 75, 78, somewhere in there. Yeah. So that just tells you how little he played in that game. So um, I'm interested to see how, how he does, and then uh, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see on the rest of the guys. I think guys, some guys are dinged up, but I think for the most part, other than Jeremy Bernard, I think most everybody else um, is going to play. If they're not limited, then they'll then they'll be back. I'll be on the sidelines pregame and we'll post it on the uh, game day board. Um, but uh, I'll be looking for uh, Cameron, uh, Fabi Kulanen. At first, I thought that that might have been a concussion, but it looks like it was a knee. And then also Vince Nunley. Kalen um, DeBoer was a little bit uh, evasive on, on that. Um, he said he wasn't available, asked if it was an injury, and he said no. And that was about all. Well, he, he just say, said but... he, he just said it's unclear whether he'll be available this weekend or not. Um, and so, you know, we'll have to see if he plays today. Um, but uh, it doesn't sound like it's a long term thing. It sounded like there's some things he had to clear up. So I hope it's not like remember. Back in the day when uh, Scott White was sick, had the flu, and we were asking uh, Tyrone what was up, and Tyrone just kept on saying it's not football related. So everybody thought he was just suspended or something. So let's that just isn't hope what that isn't the way Kalen DeBoer. Works. Yeah, I was going to say, Kim, yeah. I don't I don't see a similarity to, to how DeBoer deals with these things at all compared to 
to Willingham. Yeah, I just I just hope it's something personal and he's back today. So we'll just it, hope the best yeah, on it. Could be could be family related. You just I mean this is these are the things you leave better well enough alone because it's just you're not going to get anywhere first of all because they clearly don't want to talk about it. Um, but secondly, it who knows if it's disciplinary or not? Does it matter? Like the stuff with Tybo, that stuff eventually uh, got figured out. The stuff with Diesel Gordon eventually got figured out. I mean, these are just, just things that happen when you're dealing with kids. And like I said, depending on the circumstances, it's it's easily answered. But at the same time, is it really the, the business of the – do we all need to know exactly what's going on with these guys every minute of the day? And I don't think we do. Also, Asa Turner. So we'll see um, if he uh, is back. I know that he left the game in the fourth quarter at some point, and he was really holding that hand. I mean, he's got a club on it, and he was really holding it, and he was obviously in pain. So, uh, you know, with if Nunley's not there, Cam Fab's not there, and Turner's not 100%, they're a little bit weak and a little bit thin at the safety spot. So definitely something to keep uh, my eye on pregame. And like I said, we'll put that out on the game day board right away. But, Scott, I also think, you know, with as lethargic as the offense was last week with the turnover, I expect them to come out breathing fire today because this Stanford team, especially this defense, they're just not that good. No, they are not. They gave up 42 points to a really um, pedestrian UCLA team, um, you know, and, and that was a team led by the backup quarterback, uh, Ethan Garber. So, you know, I, I think Washington should be able to put up quite a few points. And the, and this Stanford team only scores 21.3 points per game. So it isn't like they're putting up a lot of points either. So Washington, I think if, if Washington scores mid to upper 30s, I think their defense holds this team to the teens. I, I don't see this being a close game for Washington, but um, <laughs> who knows? You know, I mean, it's on grass. It's down at Stanford, a place where like like Arizona um and you know playing down in the desert washington weird things happen to washington when it comes to playing at stanford so um you know you can think back to all those games the the curtis williams game the that was a game washington won but uh other games where where washington just had the better team but just couldn't pull out a win over stanford and and that's kind of where things stand um you know heading in the last time they played there though dylan morris pulls out probably um, the best play, the be, his best game as a Husky um, throws that touchdown pass to Jalen McMillan to win it last time they were down there in 2021. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. I think Washington's going to be able to put up some points and I think Michael Penix um, is going to be able to get right back at the, at the forefront of everybody's mind when it comes to the Heisman. Chris, what was interesting, we did the podcast on uh, Thursday and um, with Jackson Moore, who covers Stanford for the 24-7. But he said they only brought in one transfer. They had a lot of their players transfer out. He said the guys that transferred out weren't that good to begin with. And now they've inserted guys that couldn't beat the guys that weren't very good. They substituted with those guys. So he wasn't real optimistic about today's result. Well, again, two and five, Um, you know, they beat Hawaii and, and then they had that amazing game at Colorado, which I'm sure they're hanging their emotional hats on quite a bit that they can come back and and they can put points on the board and, and do those types of things. So they've had a little bit of success. But again, at home, they haven't won a game at home, which is really concerning. And, and they again, lost to. Well, yeah, lost they, lost to a, a, lost Sac, they lost to Sac State, which is Troy Taylor's old team. Yeah. Which will which will tell you something about the the 
the development and the culture piece that he built there. And it's going to take time. And, and anytime you're revamping a culture, anytime you're revamping a roster, it's going to take time. And the problem with Stanford guys, as we all know, you know, when you're when you're looking at West Coast football, they're one of the few teams that can't necessarily reload. They have some built-in advantages in the sense that they can recruit nationally, but they're recruiting from a very small pool of applicants that can get through their admissions process. But usually when you're talking about the best best student athletes, they're the cream of the crop, and those guys often go to Stanford. So, But it's going to take time. It's going to take time, and it's going to take uh, some creativeness uh, you know, by Troy Taylor and his staff to, yep. to get that roster where it needs to be. And, and it certainly doesn't sound like there's any shortage of creativity in terms of what they're trying to do on the field to get some of these guys in the best positions possible because you look at their quarterback position as an example. You had uh, Justin Lampson, who came in from Syracuse. Uh, you had Ashton Daniels, who was already on the team, and it was kind of 50-50. They were literally almost switching off like during series, not like one series to one quarterback and one series to the other. They were literally changing like plays within the series. And, and, and it went from 50-50 to now Ashton Daniels uh, talking to Eric Schmidt. He thought it was more a little bit more like 80-20. That, they, that you'd see Ashton Daniels behind center. But they're doing all sorts of creative stuff. You see a lot of stuff under center, which you don't really see that much of anymore. Washington does a little bit of it, but not that much. And they're going to be doing more of it. Um, clearly, a guy like uh, Alec, uh Io Manor, the, the receiver, really exploded onto the national scene with what he did at Colorado with almost, what, 300 yards receiving, just some ridiculous numbers. So they've got some talent, but you're yeah. right, guys. It's it's just one of those things where when you're completely changing the culture and roster piece, there's so much that has to go right in order for you to have some success. And then on top of it, going up against a top five team, that's a, that's an uphill climb for sure. Scott, you know, David Shaw was there a long time, was highly regarded. And you kind of surprised he left the program, number one, in the shape he left it in. And number two, he's not really catching a lot of heat for leaving the disaster down there. Yeah, well, I I think the reason he's no longer coach is because of the shape that the program was in. And I I think that <clears throat> there's so many changes going on in the way people are recruited in college football. I, I just he wasn't able to find. I mean, let, let's be honest. When, when was the last really good quarterback they had out of there? And that was Andrew Tanner, Luck. Tanner, and McKee wasn't bad. I thought he was pretty. He's he, on an he NFL was, roster, he was, isn't he? He might be, but he's he wasn't good. He he wasn't. I I thought he was. He wasn't Andrew Luck good. <laughs> no, but I mean that was where they found all their success. And where was that guy recruited? Who was that guy recruited by? He's recruited yeah. by Jim Harbaugh. So, you know, David David Shaw was able to do a lot with that program when it when it came to recruiting specific positions and everything like that. But when it came to bringing in the guy who was going to be able to take them, I mean. Um, I can't I'm drawing a blank on the guy that was from uh, the state of Georgia. He didn't go to Georgia. He went he went to Stanford. Um, but we all thought he was going to be great. And then he suffered all those knee injuries. Um, and he's in on an NFL roster right now. And everybody thought that that guy was going to be the next Andrew Luck. And he just ends up getting hurt. And I mean, they st- struggle with so many injuries and losing the head coach or losing the guy who was the offensive line coach and offensive coordinator for. Stanford and he goes to Rice as the head to be the head coach and basically ever since then 
they just haven't been the same. They haven't been able to recruit the same along the offensive line. They still get really good players, but not like they were getting. They were getting, I mean, when Foster Sorrell signed and who was the other guy that was along with him, the, the other tackle, he was in like number one or number two tackle in the country. And Foster Sorrell was like number four or number five. I mean, Stanford doesn't do that normally. Well, and yeah, so they, had the, it, they had the intellectual brutality thing going, right? That yeah, was their, yeah. that was kind of their, their moniker. And they used to always get those, those huge, smart offensive linemen that were nasty and and during the luck years all they did was run those powers and counters yep and i remember mm-hmm. when they scored 65 on washington when they were down there that one year uh yep. when sark was when sark was at uw and and, and going up with <laughs> and UW put up like 40 didn't they or something like that it's like uh, that was like 21 or 28 but or something Hulk had a really good game if i remember correctly Chris yeah did. yeah but it was just one of those things where they, their offense was so easy to do, but it was still all about execution. And they had mm-hmm. the horses to do it. You know, they had they had the running backs at that time. Obviously, they had Andrew Luck. They had just road graders at every offensive line position. And now they just don't have the talent. And now, going through that renovation, now they're now they're going to be. I think the intellectual brutality is still there, but it's it's not quite as brutal as it used to be, and uh, and they're and they're trying to kind of reframe that I think under Troy Taylor, but it's going to take time. Yeah, Troy Taylor, Jake Browning's head coach at Folsom. Are you a little bit surprised, Scott, uh, on that hire? He was at Sac State and did pretty well, but does that hire surprise you a little bit? I I know what you're asking, and I guess you know on the on the surface it might be, but every everybody that I know that talks about Troy Taylor th- knows about his offensive mind and the way he builds programs. And, and the, he's a CEO. He is a true CEO of a, co- of a corporation basically. And that's kind of like what David Shaw was. Jim Harbaugh was kind of that as well. Um, but you know, Troy Taylor from everything that I know, he he's a really good football mind. He's brought in a lot of really good, talented and experienced coaches. Um, you know, I, I just, I just really think he, there's a talent deficit and he's going to have to re- he really needs to find a quarterback to run that team. Because honestly, in, in, in college football nowadays, if you have a quarterback, if you have a really good quarterback, you can go from being a really bad team to being an above average to really good team uh, pretty quickly. And I think that that is all that Stanford has been missing. I don't think they're lacking overall in the size and, and, you know, they've got enough, enough guys to be able to do some things here and there, but if they don't have a quarterback and if they can find themselves a quarterback, you know, maybe Ashton Daniels is that guy. I don't know, but if they can find that quarterback, I think that they have enough talent to be a middle of the road PAC 12 slash now soon to be big 12 program. I think they can get things done, but until that happens, they're just going to be an also ran. Well, you yep. talked about a lot, of, a lot of time having, uh, you know, one hand tied behind your back. But down to Stanford, I think you got two two hands tied behind your back because, number one, it's really difficult to get into Stanford, and number two, they really can't bring transfers in. So no, not, they cannot. Yeah, you, you, they just can't do it. Hey, I, I don't know the answer to this, Scott, and you dealt with it more than I did. Did Austin Mack cross paths with Troy Taylor at Folsom? Austin Mack, of course, went to Folsom High School. They didn't cross paths at all, did they? No, not really. No. Mm-mm. No, okay. Troy Taylor was gone to Utah by then. I'm pretty sure. Well, yeah, he and I was. That's what I was gonna say, guys. And and talking about whether or not you know, you'd be surprised about a guy like Troy Taylor going to Stanford. I wasn't. I wasn't at all. Because first of all, he's a West Coast guy. 
He understands it. Even if he wasn't immersed in Stanford's culture, he understands it. He understands what it's about in theory, well even before that. But he he was a Pac-12 guy for a lot of years. He was a GA at Colorado. He was uh, he was a, a wide receivers and quarterbacks coach under Steve Mariucci at Cal. He he coached it. He was the offensive coordinator at Utah under Kyle Whittingham. So we know that obviously he's well respected in the coaching community. I think it's the idea that because he coached in high school for so long that maybe he had found his level and that maybe college wasn't his level or FBS wasn't his level. But I don't think that at all. I think he was just waiting for the right opportunity and going from Sacramento State where he could really implement his culture and his system and have the kind of success he would get to the point where using his guys, they were able to beat Stanford this year. I think it really it really validates everything that he was about. And Scott, it's not um, real busy with what's going on in recruiting right now, but anything to update whatsoever when it comes to recruiting? Uh, just, you know, things are kind of moving along. Washington's talking to, to a bunch of kids. But, I mean, in in the long run, there's not a lot of news worth reporting at this point. Washington, um, I think, you know, they might be going out they might have gone out to some games last night um, in the Bay area uh, since they're down there. But um, you know, I, I think Washington is just more than happy to kind of see where things go. They they're, they're still after Jericho Johnson, number one player on the West coast that isn't committed anywhere. Um, They're still on some guys that they might want to try and flip. Hogan Hansen is a guy that they're still looking at from, uh, from Bellevue high school tight end. Um, But other than that, they're, they're really turning their focus to 2025 and portal. And I think that's where you're going to see a lot more developments and a lot more stuff going on here over the next, you know, six weeks, because, you know, you've got a lot of guys that as soon as their coach gets, you know, gets ousted or whatever, and you're going to start seeing some coaches be, 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 uh, be uh, fired by, by schools. um, That's when things can really change. And that's when you can see guys, that are starters on a mid-level power five program and their coach either gets fired or he moves up. He goes, he goes to a higher level program. And now those guys who are starters at, you know, and really good players at those mid tier schools, they're going to say portal time for me because I've got one or two years left and I'm going to, I don't want to play for a new guy who's going to come in and bring his own guys. So um, that's something that we're going to really keep an eye on and be all over for you guys. And, and I don't know the answer to this because I thought I did. I thought that the portal opened December 2nd. I thought that's when you could put your name in. But some weird stuff this week that, you know, we really didn't talk much about on the board. Um, there was a player, a defensive tackle from uh, Michigan State. We'd heard rumors, you know, about this guy entering the portal and somebody that Washington would be interested in. But I didn't expect him to hit the portal until December. And all of a sudden he's announcing he's in the portal mid-season and then a couple of days later he says he's withdrawing his name from the portal chris were you a little bit confused yeah. no i was not confused because their coach got fired so they left they left it open until august or october 26th for them to get in the portal yeah okay. i think it's it's based it's a it's a situation by situation thing it's not i don't know if it's necessarily a hard and fast rule I'm, the one thing i was gonna say in just in general in terms of the portal and stuff you know, recruiting may be a little bit slower right now, but Scott, I don't know. We haven't talked since there was a couple big pieces of news at the beginning of this last week that you may want to, uh, you know, remind or refresh uh, UW fans on because they had 
they got their first uh, verbal commit for the 2025 class, and then they got another big piece to fill out for their 2024 class. Yeah, and Kalen DeBoer sends out his wolf when he's sitting behind us in the Monday press conference on Monday. And we thought it was Keona Wilhite, but it turned out that, uh, and you know, we got, we got a heads up before he announced, but not very long before he announced that, uh, um, from Greg Biggins, that it was going to be, uh, Jackson Colick, the quarterback out of Laguna beach down in Southern California, uh, committed to Washington and, and, uh, had offers from, from one or two other schools, but was getting looked at by a lot of programs and uh, he's having a really good junior year, and the and he's a big kid. He's what is he six four six five two hundred and ten pounds? Yeah, whatever he is. There. Yeah, he's got he's got a big frame, and he's gonna get bigger. So I mean, what? Not Jake Hayner. He's not he is not Jake Hayner. No, he's the anti Jake Hayner when it comes to size, at least. So. Oh well, I was gonna say he he can st- he can move a little bit. Yeah, he can move around a little bit. Honestly, I, I asked Greg, you know, because I haven't seen Jackson throw live. I asked Greg about him and, and uh, I said, is he Drew Aller? Because they have the same frame and they can both run around a little bit. And he goes, yeah, Drew Aller was a lot more developed at this point in their career. But that's the good thing for Washington is that Jackson Collock isn't developed. He's still got a long way to go. Um, he's not going to be a guy, I think, who's expecting to come in and start right away. And that's good because by the time he gets to campus, Austin Mack will probably be your established starter. That's what you hope, at least that he'll be your established starter. So um, it'll be real interesting to see what happens with Jackson Colick. Um, I talked to him, um, you know, and I was going to include this in my blog on Monday, and I still will. But basically I said, you know, there's some rumors that Coach Grubb could be leaving, you know, that, you know, he'll at least be up for a lot of jobs. And I said, is that something that Washington fans need to be concerned about? Because the guy who's recruiting you and that you're committing to, could be gone by the time you get here. We're not just talking 2024. He could be gone by 2025 by the time, you know, cause Jackson's got two years before he winds up at Washington. And he says, and he said to me, he goes, well, I get the question and the concern, but he said, coach Sheridan had just as much to do with me committing to Washington as coach Grubb did. And he said, coach Sheridan recruited him just as hard as coach Grubb did. And he feels very confident that if Coach Grubb leaves, that Nick Sheridan is going to be the offensive coordinator. Now, I don't know about that, but he said he said it was Nick Sheridan was a big reason. And, and obviously, Kalen DeBoer and the culture that he's created. So um, Jackson just said he's not worried about Ryan Grubb going somewhere. Next guy was Keona Wilhite. He committed a couple, what, two hours later, whatever it was. Uh, he committed at 2.30 on Monday. And he was a commit to Arizona, edge guy from South Point Catholic. He is the guy who plays on the opposite side of the offensive of the defensive line from Elijah Rushing, the number one or two uh, edge player in the country. And um, yeah, it has really emerged over the last I don't know 16 months as a prospect. Whereas Elijah Rushing was more of like a three years. He's been on the radar for schools. Keona Wilhai wasn't that guy because I think he transferred in and he had to spend the first two. First five games of his junior season, he didn't even play because of transfer rules. So he's a guy just to kind of keep an eye on. Um, he's big kid, 6'5", 245. He could easily grow himself into a down lineman, but uh, he's being recruited specifically by Washington as a field edge player where they want that bigger bodied um, defensive end prospect, edge prospect. And and uh, the coaches, um, from everything that Keona told me, were just super ecstatic excited to get him in the in the system hey real quick real quick uh kim 
And I, I just wanted to add on to some of the things that Scott was saying. I don't want to backtrack too far, but the stuff about uh, Jackson Colick and his comments about the offensive coordinator and how Nick Sheridan had recruited him as much as Ryan Grubb did. Well, two, th- two things on that I wanted to add. First of all, for Washington fans, they're all like, oh, my God, they're already planning ahead because they think Ryan Grubb's gone and all this. Well, first of all, Ryan Grubb probably will leave at some point, whether it's in the next year or two. But Kalen DeBoer has to have a short list on the ready. doesn't matter if it's a coordinator position or an assistant coach. He has to have a list of coaches that he can go to to fill in spots right away. And Scott may be right. It may be Nick Sheridan. Nick Sheridan may be the next coordinator. It might be someone else completely different. might be someone out of the program. But either way, these things are always fluid. And I think Washington fans just need to understand that these things are constantly going. But it's not like Kalen DeBoer is going to be caught unaware The other thing I was going to say, too, is with Nick Sheridan recruiting Jackson Colick as hard as Ryan Grubb, there's a reason for that. And I think just unpacking it a little bit, if you go and look at how Michael Penix is on the sidelines, who is the guy that he's talking with the most? Because Ryan Grubb's up in the booth being the the mad scientist up there devising the plays and, and, and doing all that play calling stuff. It's Nick Sheridan that basically is the eyes and ears of the coaching staff when he's talking to Michael Penix. Well, he well, is Nick the ran, guy that's the the go between with the quarterbacks. And so, Sheridan, Sheridan ran points at Indiana to, when he recruited Penix. Well, he, he was also the guy that was the offensive coordinator after Kalen DeBoer left Indiana for Fresno State. So again, there's so many connections, so many yeah. ties that bind Nick Sheridan to the quarterback position, even though he's the tight ends coach, he is very attuned and very tight end to what's going on with the quarterbacks as well. And I, I think Washington fans need to understand that. Hey, Scott, I want you to touch bases because, you know, we've talked to Courtney Morgan about, you know, just some recruiting strategies. And he said one of the things is they wanted to get longer. And with the guys that they're getting, it sure seems like that's happening. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's been a big focus along the defensive line, especially, but also the offensive line. They wanted to get bigger and longer athletes, Um, guys who had those long levers, long arms, long frames that they can add size to and that can still move. And and that's you can see it in the guys that they're getting. I just want, you know, next time people go to a Husky game and they're watching warm ups, just take a look at Elijah Jaquette. And that's what is he about six, seven? And he's just power forward. He's just really athletic. Mm-hmm. But boy, every time I look at him, all I can think of 30 pounds, 30 more pounds. That guy's going to be a monster, you know, and that's yes, what they're looking is. at. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, tomorrow, tomorrow night, basketball. Season starts with the next uh, get exhibition game against St. Martin's. Really um, intrigued on seeing what this team is. With you know, Chris uh, Hopkins says that they've you know just ran the zone. I think two possessions was all uh, in the preseason, so they have ditched the zone. They're going man to man. They're playing fast. A couple things to keep an eye on. Um, uh, Braxton Mia. Last week down in Santa Barbara, the day before, it sounds like he sprained his ankle and was held out a little bit. Wesley Yates, not 100% yet, and uh, big Frank Kepnong has been cleared to play. So those are definitely three guys to keep an eye on. But uh, are you intrigued on basketball at all, Chris? Are you still 100% in football? No, I'm very intrigued. I'm going to be really excited to see them in person tomorrow night. Um, yes, it's the ex- exhibition game, so I don't expect it to be a huge indicator one way or another. It's going to be a glimpse and a window, just like – every other exhibition game has been. And for people that don't know, uh, Kim, you had a great uh, kind of media situation with 
Mike Hopkins, where he you asked him about every single player and he ran right down the roster and gave his thoughts. And we put that out on Friday. So hopefully got a, people got a chance to see that on the basketball board and on the front page. Um, you got to go check that out because it gives great insight. I did a little kind of I did it alphabetically from A to Z so people could see exactly what what Hop had to say about each of his guys. But you can kind of tell just in his in his the way you hear him talk. Just his energy is back. He just he just seems very, very enthused about this group of guys. I think they have given him uh, a lot of reasons to believe that that this team could be something. I don't know if there's something special, but they could be something that uh, could put together a season like they need to have. They need to get to a postseason tournament. I don't know if it's going to be the NCAA tournament, could be the NIT tournament, but they've got to sniff some postseason action or it's or I and think this, Mike is done and this is an older team this is the most experienced team he's had you know so yes and it, uh, and it feels it, like they can they can play a lot of different ways it feels like they they are covered a little bit if they do suffer some injuries like we we saw last year what happened when Noah Williams and and Frank Kepnang went down uh it really turned their season upside down and I just have a feeling that if they experience those kinds of things early in this season they're a lot more prepared for it. They have a lot more versatility and just more bodies that they can go to where they can score. And, and again, this man-to-man defense, I'm really excited to see what it can do. They have four bigs. They have multiple guys who can play point guard, and point guard's been an issue lately, but they've got four guys that can play point guard. They have shooters. They have legit shooters, and they have scoring coming off the bench, too. And on top of all of that, again, it's an older team. It's experience. So looking forward to tomorrow night. So, um, hey, Scott, let's wrap it up. Uh, I, I, you know, excited to see uh, this team get back on the on the offensive train. <laughs> you know, it's it's going to be um, fun to kind of watch what happens with them this weekend. Um, I'm sure I didn't, you know, I haven't even looked at what the weather is supposed to be like today, but, um, you know, I think Washington, uh, should be able to put up quite a few points, put up some yards, keep things going. And I think their defense should be able to make this a one dimensional team. Uh, they're not going to be able to run the ball, or at least they shouldn't be able to, they haven't really been able to do it all season. They're putting up 128 yards on the ground, but more often than not, you look at the box scores, they're 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 rushing for like 40 yards, 50 yards a game. And if Washington can stop that um, from being an issue, um, then that's when Braylon Trice and, and um, Zion Tupuola Fatui and possibly, you know, another guy, Sakai Asuaofoa, those guys can really get after it up front and get some sacks, get some pressure on the quarterback and maybe force some bad throws and possibly even force their first fumble of the season. So, um, you know, I, I think Washington's going to have a really nice bounce back game today and that's what I expect. And, uh, then it's the real gauntlet as, as much of, uh, Stanford is always a challenge for Washington. So is Arizona state at USC, Utah at home at Oregon state, Washington state at home for the final apple cup, at least that we're aware of at this point. So that is going to be a serious gauntlet, and this is the last real tune-up before that happens. Wrap it up, Chris Fetters. Uh, yes, and, and I had to look it up, uh, what the forecast was today down in Palo Alto. It looks like it's – I know you can look out your window, Kim, but it looks like it's going to be about high 60s, no chance of rain. Perfect uh, weather, basically. Yeah, it's yeah, it sounds like it's not going to be any sort of an issue at all. Uh, I echo almost everything that Scott said. I would just say that, frankly, the two things uh, I'm looking for today, this afternoon, is just the offense getting back on track. 
having some success, especially early in the game, to try to put Stanford behind the sticks a little bit. And then just the defense to continue to improve and, and maybe stack games on games. Because Scott's completely right. These The last four games after this one today – it's just a gauntlet. It's 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 tough as it's as tough as any other program in the country is going to have to deal with going going forward. And um, if they can stack games on games, like if they can hold Stanford to like a touchdown or ten points or whatever, and they can win, you know, thirty five ten or forty five ten or whatever it may be, and put a UCLA type number like the Bruins were able to do last week, if they can do that to Stanford then that, that defense has all sorts of confidence going down to L.A. and matching wits against a, a UCLA or USC offense, excuse me, that we know can can explode at any time. I mean, they've been highly erratic this year, but we know with a Heisman Trophy winner, they can do anything they want, anytime they want, if they, if they execute and are motivated to do it. So um, they've got to just take care of business tonight. It's just that simple. You've got to play like a number five team in the country would play, and then – You've got next week, you've got the, the the first playoff rankings coming out, and that should be really, really interesting if, if Washington does what they're supposed to do. Four o'clock kickoff today down at Stanford Stadium. Um, Where were you? I, I, I wandered off. I knew you were going to talk a while. <laughs> okay, perfect. <laughs> By the way, I knew that was going to be Kim's answer when you asked that question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He gives me grief all the time about going for too long, and now the one time he decides to do it, I cut him short. Yeah, <laughs> uh, just trying to pack up. I got to get ready to go. But uh, yeah, just uh, re- really um, get the Stanford game out of the way, get back home tomorrow night and then uh, leave immediately for the basketball game. We have media with Coach DeBoer on um, Monday, players on Tuesday, uh, coaches on Wednesday, as well as basketball media on Wednesday. We also have Coach Mike Hopkins on Monday as well. So it's going to be a busy, uh, busy week next week. And then uh, then back uh, down to USC next week. So it, it hey, never ends. Hey, Kim, real quick, I, I, I think we should add people, too. And not to not to jump too far ahead or assume too much, but we just figured out something that was going on the the weekend of the Pac-12 football championship game in Vegas. That Friday, Washington men's basketball has a game the next day against Colorado State, correct? Yeah. So let Washington fans know about that. So in case they want to start planning ahead, they should stay an extra day to watch the men's basketball team play. Lots of travel. So just uh, lots and lots of travel. Again, USC next week. So that'll be fun. So. Just keep it right here. We got a lot of coverage yet to come. So uh, for all of us at Dogman.com, I'm Kim Grinnell, along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. Go dogs. Bright shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo. Thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.